And now, business games. Welcome to another edition of Business Games Podcast, a podcast where we apply game theoretic principles to business to help you make better decisions under uncertainty. This is season one. The season one is all about experiments. It is itself experimental. And we'll look at the context of experiments in business from different angles. This episode is going to be focusing on SME, solopreneur, kind of lifestyle entrepreneur businesses. We'll get into that a little bit more. The reason why the season is experimental is because I've noticed in the business literature there had been more writing about experiments in business. I think part of it is that it's easier to collect the data. Connected to that is the data science movement of uh, and, and online, especially online businesses, experimenting with lots of different things. And the idea is that if you don't know, it's just see what works. We wanted to do a whole season dedicated to experiments in business and looking at it from different points of view. There is an episode on experimental economics, and this is what uh, what uh, the um, experimental and behavioral economists learned from several decades of experiments, um, including the famous ones by Kahneman and Tversky. We have a uh, an episode dedicated to experimenting in the corporate setting. And this episode, for this episode, we've um, asked Ashley Berkhoff, the system strategist, founder of A2 Online and the author of Eureka Results, to talk about experimenting in the world of SME, solopreneur, lifestyle entrepreneur. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Andre. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I'm excited for our conversation. Well, th thank you for being here. Um, just a little bit about our relationship, how we got to know each other. We met at an at the marketing seminar, uh, an online course by uh, Seth Godin. And we connected and I believe we commented quite extensively on each other's business ideas during the seminar. And since then, we decided to keep in touch and help each other and learn from each other. You are based in Colorado. That's right. And I will let you talk a little bit more about your target audience and your journey. And since then, and we'll get into that. So recently you wrote a book and I typically reserve the the blurbs towards the end of the episode but in this particular case your book is part and parcel of the discussion because you you do talk about uh, how small businesses can learn from experimenting and so I we can even jump into that straight away uh, and and talk quite a lot about that so the normal course of this podcast and I, I typically I try to do it a little bit differently to a lot of other podcasts which are just um, interviews like tell me about yourself and what is your journey and all of that 
uh, we're trying to do this more of an educational podcast and we have a particular topic and we have a particular structure. And because ages ago I was trained to be an academic, uh, we leave the audience with homework. So the idea is that we get into a topic, we talk about certain things and, and, and those certain things are basically decision-making under uncertainty, how experiments can help that for the audience that, that you're familiar with. And then we talk about homework. What does it mean for the listener? Where should they go next? What they can learn? And more importantly, how they can use the, the, the learnings and embed them into their day-to-day. And then usually we leave with, uh, with some blurbs. But again, here we just go straight into, I think, talking about the book and because I think your book is, is, is great. I was one of the, I was privileged to be one of the first readers of that. And I, and I thought it's, uh, it, it's a good book. And uh, I'll, now I'll leave it to you. I'll probably edit some of these ums. Uh, but in terms of uh, how do you want to present this? So the, the, the wider topic is experiments and decision-making under uncertainty. But before that, maybe set it up from your point of view, like where, like how do you see people deal with, with uncertainty and your, the, the, the solopreneurs and, and the entrepreneurs that you're working with. And obviously the, the other thing that I may or may not re-edit, but of course uh, the, the last 12 months had been, you know, more than 12 months now, uh, had been quite high in uncertainty. So... Mm-hmm. The, the floor is yours. I mean, this is not really well scripted from my point of view, but why don't you, I, I'll let you speak. No, this is, this is great. Um, so yeah, a lot of the reason that I was inspired to write the book is that I work a lot with uh, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, freelancers who are looking to build a business beyond them. And what I found was that a lot of times these entrepreneurs have you know, no shortage of amazing ideas and no shortage of a willingness to work hard and to be determined and to come back after failure, but they were still really struggling to make their best ideas happen. And one of the biggest detrimental habits that they would often fall into is what we often refer to as shiny object syndrome, often chasing new ideas before finishing ideas they had already started and then ending up with a large number of half-finished projects in their business and a sense of failure, a sense of discouragement, and a beginning of distrusting their own ideas. Um, Because often the way things are messaged to us as entrepreneurs is that, you know, it's about having a great idea and working really hard to make that great idea happen, which those things matter. But my big idea in the book is that they're not enough on their own. What we need is systems. What we need is structure to make it in this marathon between the great idea and actually the result of that great idea. And very core to that marathon, core to that process of turning idea into reality is experimentation. So that's where in the book, I talk a lot about having a mindset of experimentation, expecting it, embracing it, instead of being discouraged when you have to iterate, you have to try again, you have to change things as you go. Um, 
it's it's part of the process and a good part of the process. In my experience, whenever uh, business leaders in, in large organizations or um, entrepreneurs speak about experimentation, you know, if you have a hypothesis and you test it and the hypothesis turns out to be wrong, your idea turns out to be wrong. I believe that a lot of people go, well, the experiment mm-hmm. failed. Of course, in, in well, for, from my point of view, I think you would agree is that in that case, the experiment hasn't failed. You just tested a hypothesis and turned out to be wrong. And now you can tweak it and, you know, use find out something that is right. right. Is that something that you're experiencing? And if so, and I, I, I believe that you've experienced the same, right? If so, then how can we, is that just a mindset shift or you talk about systems? What kind of systems can entrepreneurs put in place such that they don't get discouraged from, you know, testing a hypothesis and getting the wrong quote unquote result, Mm -hmm. but actually use it as an encouraging building step towards designing something better? What kind of systems can they embed in their own uh, lives as entrepreneurs? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I think from the mindset perspective, um, entrepreneurs have almost a, a a double obstacle in that it's easy to see a, a disproven hypothesis as a failed experiment, but often entrepreneurs will take it another layer and say, this is now my failure, right? Not only did the experiment fail, but I failed. And that can be really hard to recover from. So um, I think from a systems perspective in terms of building into your approach, this different way of thinking about it um, is you can actually really systematically when you set out to do something, frame it as an experiment. You can say, all right, what's my hypothesis? What's the big thing I want to prove or disprove by doing this? And how am I going to test that? Um, That can provide a little bit of a a distance between the entrepreneur and the idea to add some objectivity to it instead of, wow, I had this incredible idea. It's gonna be amazing. I'm just gonna go for it. It's gonna be so great. And then when it's not so great, seeing that as a failure of the idea, rather than from the beginning saying, all right, I want to do this thing. Let me frame it as an experiment. Let me approach it as an experiment and see the different elements that I can test. And then as I'm iterating on that, I know which levers to to tweak and which dials to move because I've seen it that way from the very beginning. Um, you talk in your book a lot about uh, resistance to systems, mm-hmm. and I and I see the same. You know, especially if uh, if if people are uh, take a step back. I work a lot about, uh, across risk and marketing, mm-hmm. and quite often at at, at the same time. And uh, what I found out is that marketing people tend to be uh, much more excitable, and they don't like risk people because they think that risk people are just there to uh, effectively pull over their parade and not let them do anything. And risk people think that marketers are reckless. And of course, what you're saying is you're coming from uh, a little bit more from the, uh, and I, uh, maybe I should let you speak on that, but what you wrote in the book and it connected with me is that I think both you and I are coming at it from a, a little bit logical uh, point of view. And we go like, okay, let's do this. Let's do a framework and let's, Let's create within that framework. It opens up creativity, I think, I believe. 
having a framework and also that allows you because you go like that's the framework it's not it's not me it's not my ideas it's not but it's it's a it's a process and within that process i believe that 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 process helps have that distance that uh, that you talk about mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah absolutely and i think you know, if we think of marketers as creatives and a lot of the entrepreneurs I work with having that same approach, right, of getting so excited about an idea, really the goal of having these frameworks and processes is to make more of those ideas actually happen, right? So it's the direct opposite, really, <laughs> of raining on the parade. It's, it's saying we want these ideas to actually make it to the finish line. So how can we do that and set you up for success right here at the beginning? And it, sure, it might feel a little restrictive. It might feel like not getting started when you're so excited to get started. But um, the goal really is to make that idea actually happen. Um, and we don't want the world's best ideas and most creative ideas to not happen because there wasn't that structure and scaffolding underneath to actually help it go the distance. Yeah. I have, uh, I will put a link to that tweet. There has been a, a recent tweet I came across, uh, which is about the restricting creativity can actually open up creativity. And the, um, uh, the tweet referenced a brief uh, of the uh, Roadrunner cartoons to the, to the authors. And it had about, oh, I don't know, a dozen, over a dozen very restrictive uh, rules. A roadrunner can only run on the road mm -hmm. otherwise he wouldn't be called the roadrunner <laughs> and uh, you know Ali Coyote can only uh, can only use products from um, Acme Corp and they have to be you know and actually nobody would claim that the 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 diversity and the the greatness and kind of of creativity that that sprang is not a is not is not effectively a well of created like th those those cartoons are very creative and so what you're saying is the same is by having a process you you can open up your creativity and it will act, you can increase the probability of its success which brings me to um another question is um in your work with entrepreneurs how do you treat uncertainty and here's the background the background is this Whenever something fails, it doesn't necessarily fail because you have done something wrong, right? It could have failed because COVID came along, right? Uh, or something happened. There is always an element of skill and an element of luck in uh, something working out or not. Um, if something worked out also, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a good idea. It could just, you, you could just have gotten lucky. What kind of a, does that make sense? B, do you see your clients, how do you see your clients dealing with that and how do you coach them to deal with that, to distinguish between skill and luck? And C, how, what kind of, how can systems help you maybe get the right learning, maybe mm. distinguish between, oh, this, this, this was just I got lucky or unlucky versus no i'm on the right track and i should just you know or i'm on the right or wrong track mm -hmm. so those three three levels of questions oh, that's there. a great question um so level one is 
you know, am I seeing the the interplay between skill and luck really showing up for these entrepreneurs? And absolutely, especially as a small business owner, I think because the opportunities for change are so so immediate, right? When a large company change takes longer, you're limited in what you can do. In a small business, you can make any kind of change at any time. And so the uncertainty quotient is much higher. Um, and it's difficult for me as a person who enjoys some stability and certainty to learn how to be comfortable uh, with the realization that this will always be uncertain, that there will always be this uncertain interplay between being in the right place at the right time and serendipity and some of these other things and actual skill and planning and forethought. And, um, you know, I think the way I see systems in light of just that massive amount of uncertainty and, and the inability to always know how much of something is skill and how much of something is luck is to say, all right, here are the things that are in my purview that I can control. Let me bring some stability to those things so that there is room for serendipity, for luck, for um, both good and bad, unexpected things to happen to me um, because it's not everywhere, right? Um, I think, you know, like they say that often when prevent presented with too many choices, we're actually paralyzed by the number of, of open options. I think in entrepreneurship, it's very similar, right? If everything is reinvented every single month, we burn out, we're exhausted, it's too much uncertainty. And so I think systems can become a sense of not control over your life because that's not possible, but control over the things that are controllable for building in some stability where it's actually going to add value to you, to your clients, um, to not make the same decisions over and over and over again, because there will be plenty of opportunity for pivoting and changing in all of these areas of uncertainty that will always exist. Um, so we don't need to create more, right, by not having systems in the areas that can have them. A couple of anecdotes uh, from your personal uh, setting up of the business, and I, I believe you have them, please. I do. So, so that, of course, uh, I think we discussed it. Uh, we, you know, as we get employees, we have. It's almost like having a child, right? You you go uh, from you're your own person. You can experiment maybe a little bit more because you got higher tolerance for for risk. Uh, versus now, oh my God, there are other people who depend on me. And so now I, uh, <laughs> much more, well, there's much more responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that happens. Have you noticed that in, uh, amongst the people that you consult, have you noticed a different approaches to experimentation or risk-taking between uh, firms that have employees versus solopreneurs? That is a great question. I think employees do have the effect, like you were saying, with this additional responsibility and also just the additional complications that might come with making a change. It does have a tendency to 
slow down the rate at the very least of risk-taking or of experimentation um, and temper it a little bit. So if I'm working with a solopreneur, they might be thinking in terms of changing their entire business model from one week to the next. Um, whereas if I'm working with an agency owner, that's not on the table anymore. They're an agency. Uh, so they focus that, that experimentation on more operational pieces or marketing or things like that. Um, but they're not looking as foundationally as often, um, which I think for many of them is actually a good thing. Um, kind of to my earlier point, sometimes making that decision once and staying committed to it is actually a good thing, as long as it's a strong, solid decision, um, rather than re revisiting some of those foundational decisions constantly, like you have the opportunity to do when you're alone. Yeah. And of course, once you have employees, you can bring them into experimenting. And so you can actually experiment with more things. Uh, if you get necessary buy-in and, and the approach, uh, you just mm -hmm. need to have communication, I guess, that, you know, you don't unsettle people and say, okay, now we're doing something completely different, <laughs> which uh, I, I'm I'm sure I've done those things in the past when uh, I people didn't know from one week to the next, what, like, what are we doing? Uh, because I, I had all sorts of crazy ideas and I feel that tempering is useful. How do you like what kind of systems can you suggest that people use and how how do you approach that creating a culture of experimenting and i get i guess that mindset that you talked about before let's take that to now and you know many people not not just an entrepreneur him or herself but now okay how do you create that with employees and mm -hmm. how do you get everybody to to work together and experiment and also not worry about oh if something fails it's us uh, because mm -hmm. obviously if, if your employee tries something and it fails right there there's of course you know potentially fear that oh my god there could be repercussions mm -hmm. but how do you introduce how do you how do you work with that yeah i am um, i'm in the middle of of one of these myself marketing sales methodology yeah, that wait, oh, sorry wait wait ashley you the um there was an internet connection issue oh, okay. uh the last i've heard is you're you're in the middle of that yourself and then you disappear. Oh, okay i'll start that section over so we can just cut that out okay um yeah so i'm in the middle of an experiment myself with my own team uh i just brought on two people to serve in kind of an account representative social seller sort of role uh, purposely brought on two people so we could have the data from two separate people working the same system. And a couple of the things that I'm doing with them are, one, I communicated up front uh, that the way we're approaching their work right now is an experiment, that there's room for us to change it, that there's room for them to provide feedback and input into it, and that this isn't you know, a perfectly streamlined methodology right now. Um, so they're going in knowing that. And then I think the other thing that I really wanted to communicate through was the metrics by which I would be measuring their performance. So rather than looking at outcome metrics, we're looking entirely at the consistency with which they're testing the system, right? So how many conversations are you having? How many people are you inviting into our orbit? I am not 
testing their performance on how many people say yes at this point. That might come later once we've really refined the system and know what a good expectation is and those sorts of things. But right now, that's not at all part of their performance metrics. No outcomes are. And I, I think in general, with running an experiment with your team, it can really be communicating, hey, this is an experiment. We're going to test this hypothesis. If it comes back not the way that we hoped, that's still a successful experiment. We're going to learn from that. We're going to tweak and we're going to do it again. Um, and also, I'm going to test your performance on how well you run the experiment not on the results of the experiment. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you said at the beginning was that the mindset, the mindset shift that uh, people need to understand that it's an experiment, it's not, it's not them and just approach it in that way. And now what you're saying effectively is that now this mindset shift has to happen within a team. It's just one, once you've realized that, you also need to communicate mm -hmm. it such that everybody realizes it and then and that, that's basically, you you know, that's setting up that sort of system of we test things and we learn right. from that. Right. I remember in, uh, uh, in the book, you did talk about somebody who did really well from experimenting. Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe two anecdotes, one that that is in in the book and one maybe that uh the one of the top ones that let it let, that you left on the cutting room floor like they didn't make it in the book but you mm. could possibly share like out of your clients what are the just give two anecdotes that come to mind how small businesses were able to utilize experimentation yeah yeah so the story um you're referring to in the book was the story of shelly davies she's a plain language coach in um new zealand and she's always been a fascinating entrepreneur to me because she's a consultant within large established corporate contexts but she's not the kind of person you would expect to show up in those contexts um she has a a very traditional, meaningful tattoo on her chin. She has short, usually brightly colored hair, and she uses language on her website. Um, she's just a wonderful, fascinating human being and doesn't follow the normal, quote unquote, norms of corporate culture. Um, and that's part of her brand. And so one of the things I was talking to her about is how do you stand apart so effectively in an industry where you're really doing things quite differently than what would be expected of a consultant reaching out to a large airline, you know? Um, and one of the things she referred to was how she experiments. So she thinks about what she might want to do. And often she's following kind of some intuitive ideas there, some creative ideas. I want to try this. She steps back and thinks, all right, what's the worst that could happen? Do I feel comfortable with taking that risk? Um, if so, yes. All right. I'm going to do it for a period of time. And then I'm going to step back and evaluate what were the results? Did anything bad come from this? Did I actually get some good feedback from this? People who really resonated with this? If yes, I'll do more of it. If not, I'll stop doing it and I'll move on. And I really appreciated that that's just a core part of the way she approaches things. And it wasn't fraught with this sense of, oh, wow, they're rejecting me if they're rejecting this way that I'm showing up. And what she has found is that by standing apart, She's memorable. She helps her clients use plain language, which is part of what she's wanting to show up, you know, to dismantle some of this jargon and uh, corporate language that we often use. 
And so she can serve them better by standing apart from what they expect. And also they really resonate with it in a deeper way. And so uh, that was a really fascinating example for me. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. You know, another one that comes to mind for me uh, is a copywriter that I know. Um, we've worked together for several years and she's really wanted to transition out of the role of copywriter, copy coach into being a more broad uh, coach on fear and confidence and risk-taking and those sorts of things. And it's just been interesting to watch the iterative process of what that has looked like for her, right? So at first it was just starting to write about it, starting to put out content about it, starting to talk on social media in a new and different way, kind of just testing the waters a little bit. She didn't dive into the deep end right away. Then after that, it was, okay, I'm going to start building a different website on a different brand, moving towards that, kind of iterating in that direction. And now she's launched a podcast and she's really kind of gone full into presenting herself differently, introducing herself differently, marketing herself differently. Um, and it's just been cool to see that unfold over a period of time, right? And I think as a relatively type A personality myself, I would like things to be very cut and dried, right? Oh, we're doing this now and that's what we're gonna do for the next 15 years. And that's often not how small businesses operate, um, but they often do get there. It just takes a few rounds of iteration, of trying things, of seeing what the response is and then stepping fully into it. You transitioned from a corporate world and a large consulting firm into solopreneurship first, and then you started employing people. What were the, well, first of all, transitioning from the corporate world into solopreneurship and then actually growing the company? What are the things, what, what, have, you, what have you tried and, and learned from in those two, two changes? Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole process has been very iterative for me. So I came out of an operations and project management role within a large financial services consulting firm. And really my first thought when I started A Squared was, okay, this company is paying me to do this work. I'm good at it. I love it. What if small business owners need the same type of person? What if they need someone to help build stability into their businesses, maybe I can do that. And so that was about as far as I had thought about it um, when I first started looking for clients. And in those first roles, I called myself an independent business manager. My clients often called me a virtual assistant, which I didn't love, but that was terminology that was available to them. And often that was the work I was doing for them. So I really just started getting into these businesses, helping them however I could. And then over time, began to elevate the support that I was providing to them, focusing more and more and recognizing just the incredible power of systems and process as its own approach in their business. I think I had always seen processes in previous roles as just kind of a subset of what I had done. It was just a piece of operations, right? And I began to realize, like, wow, I'm working with a lot of entrepreneurs who, for whom this is a huge challenge, even just how to think about it the right way, how to approach it the right way, um, and so I started to specialize more and more on the system strategy 
for them and um, hired my first client-facing team members about a year and a half into starting the business, um, two months before I needed to step away for maternity leave. So it really was a trial by fire for all of us because um, I had two months to train them up and then I disappeared for five weeks and they had to run the business without me. And um, they you know, really stepped into that challenge, which I'm so grateful for. But um, yeah, that was the first time where too, we realized we needed to tweak our business model, adjust the scalability of things, adjust um, how team members could support my clients effectively because my scope was so broad before needed to narrow that. Um, so there was another iteration in bringing the team on and also learning how to learning how to lead, learning how to delegate effectively. Um, all of that was quite new to me as well. So I learned a lot of things the hard way. Um, I had a similar leadership kind of epiphany because when you uh, grow up in a, you know, you work for somebody else and you effectively become an expert, but you, you become an expert in your field and nobody teaches you leadership. Um, only when you start employing people or start being responsible for, for a team, then it's sort of, you know, in the better companies, they do provide leadership uh, training to their line managers. Um, and the worst companies don't, like even large companies, right? So they just promote experts to lead a team and mm -hmm. those experts are not really good right. leaders. So, so yeah, no, I, I've experienced the same. Has, uh, and, and you're right, it was, like for me as well, it was a uh, uh, trial by, by fire. Uh, you, you learn something and then you try to educate yourself. And I I'm still, I guess, not where I want to be as, as a leader, but I, I appreciate much better what I don't know than, than at the beginning. Mm -hmm. When you did that transition, have you already started thinking in terms of and communicating like this is an experimentation we're learning or did that come later and at that time it just felt a little like it was you you approach it i guess more as a organic and, and more out of uh, out of a need not to experiment but as, as you said you were uh you needed a maternity leave yeah so you you actually that was much much more pressing mm -hmm kind of operational concern mm -hmm. or did you already set it up as you you were when for you i guess when was that mindset shifting like now i'm i'm experimenting and it's 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 not me you know it's like i'm i'm just iterating mm -hmm. or did it dawn gradually Honestly, just within the last year, I would say was when I really had to learn to embrace that. And some of that was in the process of writing the book and talking with entrepreneurs. And um, I wanted to do it right the first time and 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 be done, right? That's really what I wanted when I started my business. Um, I was not comfortable with iteration. It felt like failure to me, like, oh, I got it wrong the first time. So now I'm needing to do it differently and, you know, I think some of it came with hindsight, looking back and realizing, oh, wow, this was an iterative process that I could not have circumvented. It was an important part of getting to where I am now. And there was no, no possible way to have foreseen 
the journey that we we went through. And so, you know, in talking with entrepreneurs, hearing them talk about experimentation, hearing them use words like the messy middle and, you know, there is no such thing as arriving and these other phrases, you know, and talking sometimes even with entrepreneurs who had been at it for decades, who also were saying, yeah, I'm, I'm still experimenting. I'm still iterating. Um, I had to learn to embrace that as a core mindset of entrepreneurship in general and, and giving up the idea that arrival is a thing that I will ever experience as an entrepreneur. Um, you experience milestones, you experience hard fought one, you know, hard fought wins and you experience these incredible moments, but it's also very easy to then just move on to the next thing without even really contemplating what, what you just achieved. And so, um, you know, I, I think that was an important lesson for me to write for my own sake, just the importance of this. Lots of things that I want to follow up. One, let's get back to that celebrating achievement versus celebrating progress mm. and how can we you know do that i guess a meta question is do, do you think it's cultural or do you think it's personal and what i mean by this is that recently there had been a lot of i guess appreciation for um for failure and process uh, i come from i guess from a family also of perfectionists mm -hmm. Um, so I, I grew up like that. For me, uh, it, it's also very gradual. Like even now I'm, I'm, I'm doing this podcast and I know that at the beginning it's going to be bumpy, but I'm still afraid like I want to do it perfect while at the same time logically recognizing and trying to force myself to actually understand that it's not going to be perfect. And um, I, I tricked myself a little bit by calling the season experimental. So I'm giving myself the the option to, or the permission to fail. I don't intend to fail, but I give myself the permission mm -hmm. to fail, um, which is interestingly enough, something that I've heard on a conference yesterday where a CEO was, was uh, talking to a, a, yeah, about something that, that he was doing and he was saying that it's important to give yourself the permission to fail. So anyway, Culture, this this meta culture thing. Um, oh right, one other thing that that fits into this is is of course the uh, the growth mindset, the mindset book that that uh, was a big uh, seller recently. So it seems that we have at least in the in the in the Anglo-Saxon world there, there is this. Uh, what do you agree with this statement? Have we been a kind of a culture of? you know, celebrating perfectionism and therefore kind of being afraid of failure. And are we realizing something now? And do you see amongst the people that you work with, the entrepreneurs, and I had a, do you see similar types of things? And related to that, give me, a, you said that, okay, you're working with the entrepreneurs who are still in the messy middle. Give me a percentage, like how many of them? Is it like 10%? Is it, is it 60%? Is the vast majority of them? Um, because there's got to be, there's, there's got to be a whole, there's got to be people like we, right? Uh, who are afraid of, of failure and taking things personally and want to make it uh, from the first time. And yes, of course, there are the wiser ones that... Uh, that go well no i'm still like it's a it's a it's a journey mm -hmm. right it's a journey not a destination give me a percentage what's mm. 
Oh, that's a great question. I would say 100% of them are in the messy middle. I would say 20% of them are comfortable being there. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. There is a very real and deeply internalized sense of, you know, celebrating accomplishment, celebrating arrival, celebrating perfection that is difficult to unwind. And I think even just in our, our histories, right? At least I personally came from school environments and work environments where what it took to win was relatively clearly defined, right? Um, I knew what it took to get an A in a class or to make my boss happy and earn a promotion, right? And of course, there's always variabilities in those spaces, but there was a relatively clear standard and a bar to clear and a relatively clear answer of whether or not I cleared that bar. And then I stepped into entrepreneurship and the bar disappeared. And all of a sudden I was the one setting my own bar and setting it at perfection and realizing that I could not possibly maintain that kind of bar um, while staying healthy and uh, enjoying the experience of, of entrepreneurship. And so um, I think, I, and I don't know how long this takes and maybe it's different for different people, but there's a period of time of having to unwind old habits and expectations. And I've heard people say, you know, I don't want to go back to having a boss, but sometimes I really wish I had a boss because <laughs> then I could have that external mark of you did it, you're done. This is now complete. You can move on to the next thing. Um, uh, but in entrepreneurship, there's just not those kinds of external validators anymore. I, I would, I think that the, the, it's, it's, it's called being comfortable with ambiguity, mm -hmm. right? If, if you're coming from a, uh, a more structured world where there's much less ambiguity, mm -hmm. uh, you yeah as you said it's uh, the rules of the game are defined are more defined right you they're never 100 percent defined but they're more defined and so you kind of you know how to jump through which hoops and if the hoops disappear and you need to create your own path that's that's much more and there is also quite often not not one right path right we talked about uh, you actually um in the book you uh introduce the concepts of uh complicated and complex systems and you know within the complex systems there is no right answer sometimes the, 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 the there could be a way and the opposite of that way could also be a good way and uh, it's, it's very much context dependent mm -hmm. you talked about unwinding habits i think that's a good um transition to setting setting the homework i think we discussed already about things that um people could do uh i'll do a plug on your behalf i think buying your book would be would be a good start <laughs> but out outside of that what other things that people need to be aware the and i'm mindful of not giving like three step to success mm -hmm. or you know or, or top five points there because it's it's very much context dependent although i do think that in some cases like 
changing the mindset from um, uh, you know, fixed mindset to growth mindset. There is no drawback mm-hmm. to that. So, so that's that's a, that's a good thing to do. Uh, change and understanding that it's all you're trialing things. You, it, it, it is a journey. As usual, public episodes are slightly shortened by about twenty five percent. But that's not the only thing that you would get in a private podcast. Allow me a second to explain. As we're running a course in a podcast form, our show is more structured than your typical chat show. What you're getting on the public feed is only 40% of the content. Yes, only 40%. On the private feed, the interview episodes are available in full, but even they are only half of everything you get by subscribing. What else would you get, apart from the transcripts? You get outstanding deep dives into all the themes we discuss in the interviews. This is where the course aspect really shines through. It's being subscribed to by large and small firms alike as professional development for their teams in strategy and marketing and leadership. If you go to www.business-games.ai survey and fill out the survey, you get a thank you discount off the premium fee for your first year. Who would benefit by subscribing? Well, as I mentioned, the decision makers in large and small firms alike, but also entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and business students. What you get here is something that's not taught at a business school, making this an ideal complement for your degree. If you have a professional development budget, make business games a part of that budget. Now, back to the show. Out of what what you're doing, and apart from the book, which I think is great and everybody should get it, um, maybe let's do this because I, I, I did a book. What is the target audience and who would benefit most from the book? And also, mm. um, what other things that you're doing that this audience should be aware of and that they should follow? Great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so the book was written specifically to lifestyle-driven entrepreneurs, mainly because that's the group that I work with the most closely. So my stories and my examples are often most relevant to that group. However, I think it's incredibly useful for creative entrepreneurs, especially those who feel like they love to start new projects and can struggle to finish them. Um, And really any entrepreneur, small business owner, franchise owner who is wanting to be more consistent around implementation, you know, or knows, oh, I need to do processes and systems in my business. And I hate that idea. This is a great book for that as well. Uh, Cause the hope is that it reframes it in such a way that it doesn't feel quite so overwhelming or uninteresting or completely out of your own wheelhouse. So, um, In terms of other things I'm up to, um, I am starting to do a weekly LinkedIn live show on on LinkedIn, of course, really wanting to interview people, pretty short form, 15, 20 minute conversations with kind of one core takeaway of what they're working on. And um, our, our main offer right now is a group program for lifestyle-driven entrepreneurs who are looking to design their systems and begin to delegate as well to start to build their team. So we have that 
program, which you can learn about on my website. Cool. What does a group program mean? Uh, so it's a small group coaching slash consulting program. So um, we're going to keep it to under 40 people in one group. Um, cause as you and I both know from the marketing seminar, the larger the group is sometimes the harder it is to find your people within it. And so we're keeping it small, uh, but having, so we can also have one-on-one -on -one elements. So it's all around meeting with you individually, helping you to map out and stay true to your goals, um, and to start building your own muscles for systems in your business, identifying where those things need to be, mapping those things out, streamlining, automating, and then we actually help with finding, hiring, training, onboarding, and supporting operational support people within a business. So that's a big How long does it run? Six months is what we're going to start with, but we love to have people stick around for longer as long as it's useful for them. Because of the endless iterative process of business, we can support people on the system side for as long as they find value in it nice nice i like it six months is a uh, is is a good time to embed mm -hmm. things because much too often a lot of online stuff is where you know you i don't know it's a week mm -hmm. right it's like okay it's a week of intensive work but there's very little opportunity to reflect right. And embed practices, and I think uh, I think this this longer time allows people to reflect on things and embed practices. And as you said, I mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. nice. So we'll point we'll we'll add your website to the show notes uh, and point people there. And if they want to look at that, they they should go and check that it out. Sounds great. Any any anything else? I think we covered a lot of ground today. Last words. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we did. And the and Yeah, I think um, you know, the only last thing I would say is if you're kind of uncomfortable with the messy middle, if you're feeling like, you know, this idea of endless experimentation seems a little overwhelming, you're not alone. Uh, but I promise the the hard truth of of embracing that actually makes it much, much more enjoyable on the other side. Saying from someone who also was disappointed to discover this truth about business. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Ashley. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, Andre. I really appreciate this opportunity. Mm -hmm.